Hi and welcome to the second episode of CRM Rocks. I'm Marcus Erlansson and today's podcast will be about CRM 2013. My guest today has 10 plus years experience on customer, customer relationship management, processes and system. He has worked with Dynamic CRM in 2005, both at the customer organization as well as an external consultant. He's actively sharing CRM-related content on various different channels, such as Surviving CRM Blog and at Jukka uh, on Twitter. Re- he's recently rewarded as a Microsoft MVP for the Dynamic CRM product. Hi and welcome, Jukka Niranen. Hi, Marcus. Thanks for having me. Ah, that's that's my pleasure. How are you? I'm doing just fine, thank you. How are you? I'm fine. Um, when we talked a little bit about uh, introducing you, Will, um, we discussed some other where you had some inefficiency of knowledge work and you tried to work against that. What What do you mean by inefficiency of knowledge work? Yeah, maybe I could uh, open that up a bit so... Uh, the way I see it is that, uh, I mean, nowadays we have uh, more tools available than ever before for, like, managing our uh, our work, information at work and uh, recording stuff and um, also the uh, new channels that we have for sharing the information. I mean, it's keep on keep on growing every day the number that, uh, that we have. And uh, on top of all that, I mean, we have uh, reconnected to the Internet uh, 24-7. I mean, we have uh, devices in every pocket that get us to the services that are hosted on cloud many times, so uh, it's a uh, wonderful world of uh, ever-increasing amount of uh, tools and information. But uh, w- having worked as a uh, server consultant, I think I've uh, encountered many times the situation that actually the uh, kind of growth in the uh, number of tools and the amount of information has really necessarily mean that the job is getting any easier. So uh, I see that uh, many times when I step into a typical office that uh, how people are working there, it's... Uh, not really a yeah, yeah, pleasant uh, scenario in many times. So they have uh, plenty of information available and they have more tools than ever before, but uh, they're sort of not really uh, getting work done necessarily through those tools. So they have like, they got, uh, they, in worst case, they are actually uh, fighting battle against those systems. So they are, they are not uh, getting the benefit from those systems, rather they are, those systems become their job, so to say. So, uh, Maintaining them? Yeah, and uh, I mean, uh, the number of kind of different uh, places where they uh, have to log in and uh, where to search for information and uh, where did I put that file and so on. So I think that's kind of the uh, a typical setting where uh, when I walk into a customer company and start discussing with them about what kind of uh, solutions would be uh, beneficial for them, it's uh, not just a case of managing the uh, the customer data, the CRM side, but rather like... Uh, giving them tools for surviving in the job that they're doing. So uh, effectively giving them a uh, systems that, that are, I mean, not the systems, but solutions that have been designed for uh, making their jobs easier. So uh, because nowadays it's so uh, simple to test, like keep deploying more systems. So you can sign up for new services in the cloud and like there's no shortage of those kind of uh, tools available there, but uh, there's not that many solutions that have been really designed for uh, helping the individual. So I think that's one of the uh, key areas where uh, we need more focus and we uh, 
instead of like uh, getting some more and more features into Serum, for example, then it would be better to have uh, the right features and not just uh, not just more features, more information. So uh, I think that's kind of uh, many times the uh, setting in which I uh, try to position myself. So being a uh, bringing some uh, uh, better visibility into that uh, settings that they have with the information and making it uh, accessible for the end users so they can actually navigate better in, in their uh, day-to-day jobs and uh, survive the information overload that tends to surround us. I mean, all the communication channels and systems, they can be overwhelming at times. And here we are, we are working as CRM consultants and we're bringing in yet another system for them. So uh, it's important for us to like, focus on not just like adding up to that pain, but rather solving their problems with solutions that have been designed for the need that we see in those companies. Yeah, that's, that sounds good because I actually thought about that bringing another system into to the customers. It it might be actually initially a little bit of a pain for them. So so there's a new release coming out uh, on Dynamic Serum, and it has a quite a lot of changes to the user interface. And you talked a little about the helping the users. Uh, so uh, will the users recognize themselves? Yeah, I mean, if you uh, have uh, had a look at the new version uh, or sign up for a, a trial in Serum Online, then uh, first time you, uh, if an average Serum user logs into the system and sees the, the way it is, I mean, it, I think that they will consider it as a whole new system. Uh, they they might not even recognize that it's Dynamics CRM, so uh, it's definitely going to be a... Yeah, big, uh, even a shock for the, the uh, existing users. But uh, then, I mean, looking at it from the other perspective, if it's a uh, totally new, new user who doesn't have experience of Dynamics here in, in the past, then uh, I'm pretty sure that the, um, the barrier for them to, like, start uh, uh, trying out the system and using it for, uh, I mean, uh, for the task that they uh, they need a serum for, I think that's going to be a uh, lot uh shorter path getting towards that situation where they are able to get benefits from the system and like organize information through that. So uh, it's a lot more intuitive, but uh, at the same time, of course, it's uh, if, you know, it's uh, totally different compared to what uh, the um, Dynamics Serum product was from version 3 to up to version 2011. So uh, uh, all the navigation paradigms are different and uh, it's certainly going to require lots of uh, uh, attention and planning for existing customers to like how to jump into that world because uh, uh, it's pretty obvious that the uh, when you show it to the users or new customers, then uh, they love the UI. I mean, it's obvious that it's a, uh, a move to the right direction, but uh, then uh, you have to also then manage the uh, the transformation for existing organizations. I mean, ensuring that it's not going to be seen as yet another system that they need to like learn. So ensuring that it uh, still uh, covers all the uh, processes that they have been using it for in their uh, previous uh, task and previous uh, versions of the environment. Yeah, because comparing it to, to Outlook and the Office suite, it's not that alike that it used to be, according to me at least. Because in Outlook you have this, still have this section down to the left where you have mail, calendar... Mm-hmm. And right now in Serum 2013, there's uh, they're not there. Well, if you uh, use the uh, 2013 version through Outlook, actually, then it, you still will have those uh, the folder structure there on the left side. So uh, it's actually uh, 
if we think about so back a few versions, I mean, up until version 4.0, it was uh, you basically had the uh, uh, Serum web page embedded inside the Outlook UI and uh, nothing else from that. And uh, then in 2011, you had a uh, all the data was there as uh, uh, Outlook objects, so it was a uh, quite a big difference already between the web client and the Outlook client. So uh, uh, now it's just getting uh, further apart from that. So it's uh, you really have to like uh, plan or find out in advance in advance that uh, which is the version that the users are going to be uh, mainly using for accessing CRM because uh, the uh, all the instructions and training is going to be quite different compared to that. I mean, whether you log into the web page or whether you access from the uh, traditional folders in your Outlook. All right. Uh, so do you have any recommendations uh, or, or do we just take it uh, per customer? Well, I think it's uh, you really need to uh, spend some time there uh, playing around with the new UI and thinking about, okay, not just the fact that uh, how can you technically upgrade your environment, but rather what would you... Uh, how you can leverage the uh, new form design and how the uh, navigation is going to be uh, uh, more logical for the end users. So, uh, I mean... Uh, do the customer have to do this or, or can I do a, a sort of a general recommendation for them? What I recommend is that uh, for any customers that uh, used uh, Dynamics Serum extensively or done some customization, that uh, if they don't have a test environment where they can try it out, then... Uh, why not spin up a new trial organization in Serum Online and like take the existing uh, 2011 solution into that environment and then uh, uh, play around with it and see that, okay, after the upgrade, this is what it now looks like and uh, compare that to the new uh, functionality that's available there on the new forms. Oh, that's good. So you can import the, uh, the solution files from 2011. Yeah, they are compatible now, so uh, it's a way of like you don't have to uh, upgrade the whole organization to get to the new level, but instead you can you can import the new uh, solution file there and like easily try it out. Even in the cloud version, if you are on-premise customer, then you can export your solution, the default solution, and just take it into that environment then and have have a practice round for the upgrade. Okay, so um, so once you have done that and you say we we chose uh, the the new UI from the web perspective because um, I think that's most interesting and perhaps that's where the changes are right now. So yeah. how do you get about uh, doing all these new forms? Well, there's actually a process where you can, uh, or it's a, uh, when you uh, upgrade the organization or bring in a uh, old solution into the new, uh, new environment, then uh, you will get the uh, new form uh, structure. You get the new navigation. So, for example, the ribbon is going to be gone already, but uh, you will not yet have all the uh, new components that are available on those new forms. So you will not have the uh, Bing and Max component or you will not have the uh, new uh, kind of activity or social pane there in the middle that shows the latest updates and activity previews. So uh, those are actually something that uh, you can then... Um, use a process there where you can bring in an existing form to the new form. So uh, there's going to be more than one form uh, in your environment uh, after the uh, upgrade, and then you can merge the the, the uh, old one with the new capabilities there. So you actually uh, you need to do some uh, redesign work there and uh, then place those uh, new components into uh, the new layout and choose that, okay, 
does my form structure actually work now in this new UI when it's a yeah, more uh, widescreen experience compared to the old uh, traditional two-column format that was uh, commonly used in those uh, CM2011 forms. All right, so if we go into, let's say, open up an account and look at the form now, perhaps um, uh, there's an there's all this new stuff that you discussed right here. Um, so talk a little bit about what, uh, what we might be seeing here. You said uh, activities and stuff like that. Is that like the activity feed or what's that like? Yeah, there's a uh, new component there in the middle of all the forms, and it's actually the, uh, if you look at it from the customization uh, UI, the form designer point of view, then it's actually the old notes control there. But now we have the uh, three tabs there, so we have uh, both the activity feed posts and as well as then the traditional activities like emails and appointments, and then we have one tab for notes there. So it's a uh, kind of a composite control that uh, summarizes its content there and uh, shows it in a much more uh, rich format than a uh, normal subgrid would. So that's probably one of the most vis- visual uh, new additions into the form. Of course, in addition to, to the uh, the Bing Maps uh, integration, so if you are on a uh, record like an account, then uh, seeing the uh, map of the actual address for the, uh, for the account will, of course, be a nice addition to that uh, layout, making it more graphical and like more easy to then, of course, check out the... Uh, location of where where you're going to go to meet your customer for example yeah that that sounds really good and and a lot of the forms have, have this top new process ui flow ui what are they called let's see i have to look at the name so i get it right so it's the business process flow actually so that is the official title of that uh, that thing and uh, it's uh, especially if you go into the sales entities then a very uh, very central new component there for guiding the users through a process. So uh, on a forum like the account, maybe that's more of a uh, kind of a static uh, place. You're not really, uh, of course, there can be stages for the customer relationships, but uh, in general, you're not trying to get to the end of the process, whereas on a uh, lead or opportunity or case or uh, customer entities like project, then uh, usually it would be a process where you start with the record and you try to get towards the end of it. So closing the deals or successfully uh, resolving the case and so on. So on all entities like that, both the default ones and then the custom entities, you can now uh, include those uh, business process flows there for that entity, and they will automatically display on top of the form there when the user opens it. All right, so is it like a a workflow or a dialogue or...? Well, in the uh, customization UI, it's actually one of the new... uh, one of the four types of processes that's now in there. So we have that uh, traditional workflows already from the previous versions, and then uh, we get the dialogues in 2011 version. And uh, now in the uh, <coughs> latest version, we have a new feature called Actions, and then the fourth type of uh, process is the uh, business process flow. And uh, there's actually uh, quite a big difference then compared to uh, the other processes uh, because if you think about what the uh, what does the business process flow actually do, then it's not a uh, tool that actually automates the uh, action itself. It's just a way of like visualizing the steps of what the user should be performing. So uh, you don't actually uh, 
uh, automate the process through a business process flow. You rather just make it visible to the end user of what they should be doing. So it is a process in a way, but it's not the, a process as a uh, background process that does things for you, so to say. So, so it's more like a, a checklist for this is the things that I need to get done in order to move this forward. Yeah, that's a very good uh, way of describing it. So uh, if you think about the traditional way of how, how for example, uh, sales processes were usually automated, then uh, you would build these uh, background workflows that would then uh, be triggered based on some events like creation of a new opportunity and uh, then they might create uh, new tasks for the owner of the opportunity, for example. And uh, those would then be, uh, of course, shown on the uh, list of things to be done for the uh, owner of the record, but uh, they were still kind of like they're in the background and there was no real connection to the actual uh, stage of where the where you are at with that record. So uh, it made it a bit uh, difficult also for uh, us to understand that, okay, what has now been done already for this uh, this opportunity or case or project or whatever, and what needs to be done still. So uh, in that sense, the new way of like presenting them uh, directly on the record itself as this kind of checklist compared to then creating some uh, additional records somewhere else, like activities, tasks for your uh, to-do list, then uh, it ties it up a lot more into that actual business outcome of what you should be doing for that record. So, uh, And uh, speaking of uh, past experience about... Uh, when we've built this kind of uh, automation in the past, so designing a steps that uh, a user needs to take for a qualifying opportunity, for example, then uh, I don't think that uh, many users actually have been very fond of these uh, automated tasks that keep on appearing on their uh, to-do list and then reminding them on their uh, outlooks and cell phones and so on. So uh, I think uh, in many scenarios, you first start up with like creating a batch of those kind of automated uh, task reminders, but uh, then as you've uh, lived with the system for a while, then there's just to be those uh, open tasks start to pile up on the uh, people's to-do list because they don't really see the connection between that uh, those uh, opportunities or cases uh, and then the actual uh, reminders that are in, in a different place for them. So uh, I think that this kind of a checklist is the pro- approach would probably be a uh, lot more uh, a natural way for people like uh, the structure of the uh, list of things to be done. So, of course, you can use activities there in the same way. Nowadays, as well, you can generate them in the background and especially use them for some active reminders. But uh, if it's some uh, action that uh, you need to do, but there's no definite uh, schedule for it, no definite uh, deadline for it, then I think that just presenting it there on the form in that uh, business process flow control is a uh, lot more user-friendly way of like guiding the user to w- through that process. Yeah, I've been to many uh, installations where the customer has started to asking about, oh, we need a email reminder for this, and then we need a task reminder for that. And they need it until they have it, because then they hate it. Mm, exactly. <laughs> At least the users hate it, because then they need to, then they start asking questions about, okay, how can we filter this out? How can we unsubscribe to this system that we now hate? Exactly. So I think one of the problems with that kind of uh, way of like enforcing the process is that, uh, I mean, sure, there might be a thing to do there, but it's hard to then kind of predict that what's the right time to remind the user about it. So not all of these things are something that's uh, 
like meetings that you need to go to visit a customer is rather something that's, uh, I mean, as I was talking about the kind of uh, challenges of knowledge work, I mean, sales representatives and uh, customer service people, I mean, they get uh, lots of phone calls and emails and so on, and they kind of live inside this kind of, in this uh, flow of notifications already. So uh, throwing a few more uh, reminders from CRM into that flow may not actually be helping them in, in like focusing on the right tasks. So uh, I think that this kind of a uh, summary view of what has been done and what's left to be done for the record is a uh, is going to be a lot more uh, welcome approach from the uh, end user perspective. Yeah, I think so too. But but if we go back to uh, us as a developer, how do you do this? Do you do them one per entity or how do you define these processes? Well, those uh, business process flows are just like other processes, they are tied to a, an entity type. So uh, you do, do connect them to uh, one entity, but uh, one nice uh, addition now compared to the uh, let's say the preview version of those uh, business process flows that we saw in the uh, the uh, previous CRM online update is that uh, now you can actually connect the uh, those processes into many different entities. So uh, you might start out with a, uh, let's say, uh, an order, and then from that you would proceed to a, uh, a custom entity like a project, for example, for actual delivery of that uh, order. So uh, you, the process can span through many different entities, but there's always then... Uh, one parent entity that it's tied to. All right, so um, so it's like you have this one long running process that that starts with the lead and then you convert it to something and then it goes to an account and then you have an opportunity to tie to that and and so forth. Yes, yeah, so you can actually tie up to uh, I think it's five entities into one uh, business process flow. So uh, and the whole point there is to. Uh, from Microsoft's perspective, to like uh, design the system so that so the user doesn't need to uh, navigate between records that much, but rather they are always presented with the right right uh, fields for that particular moment in the process where they are at. So, uh, uh, and that's also one nice uh, uh, way how you can use that uh, use the business process flow control is that you don't show those uh, fields on the actual uh, record form itself, but you only present them in that particular stage of that process. So then uh, the uh, amount of information that the uh, the uh, UI is kind of asking the users to fill is going to be a lot more uh, reduced into tested necessary fields for that particular phase. But of course then uh, one of the other uh, points there to keep in mind is that uh, if we now design our process to be this kind of checklists, then actually instead of uh, building a uh, or creating just a new task with a title, then we actually need to have a lot more fields on the actual entity itself. So uh, all those uh, steps in those uh, business process stages are actually, they are fields. So they can be bit fields like on and off, yes, no, or then they can be uh, drop-down fields or lookups. So uh, anything that you put into that uh, process actually needs to be a, uh, a field on the entity itself. Does that mean that Microsoft is moving away from this, I want a 360 degrees on my customer, that they want this one big form where I can see everything? Well, if we think about the uh, how the new UI now works, because uh, one of the, the uh, important features in the navigation is that there's no longer these pop-up records, but rather you uh, can operate in a uh, single window at least if you're on the web client. So uh, the difference between a uh, 
a dashboard and a record form. Actually, there's uh, from the user perspective, there might actually not be that uh, clear difference anymore. I mean, because uh, if you look at the uh, let's say the default opportunity forms, then uh, in a way they are kind of like uh, dashboards as well of the uh, of the sales case, what you're working uh, with. So they show the uh, latest uh, activities and uh, notes and uh, activity feed posts, and they also show the subgrids there for the uh, uh, decision makers and uh, sales teams and so on. So they're more really like a uh, also a, a mini dashboard, each of those forms. So uh, the uh, point there being that uh, then uh, you can like... Uh, the whole point is to try to reduce the need to like uh, have many windows open there at the same time and like switching between those different screens. So uh, these uh, through the business process flows, you can like direct the user to just seeing the uh, the fields that are relevant there at that time, and then uh, as a result, your uh, forms can be uh, less about the actual attributes of the record itself and more about the related uh, records around it. So what is it connected to? what activities are there, and so on. All right. That actually sounds a, a, a good, because then that 360 degrees is still there. Yeah, I think that it's uh, going to be even more there with the f- fact that there's uh, more screen estate now available for the actual uh, content, because the new uh, or the uh, traditional left-side navigation uh, menus are no longer there, and it's uh, now we just have the uh, global navigation bar on the top that's uh, then... Uh, expands when you go there, but it's a very uh, minimized way of uh, showing the menus. So, uh, 99% of the screen almost is just for the content of the system and not for the menus of things that you could be doing. <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's a great point. Um, uh, th- this business process flows, uh, can you export them as a powder of a solution or how do you get them from test to production? Yeah, the uh, business process flows in CM 2013 are solution aware now so uh, unlike in the Polaris release of Serum Online where you couldn't actually uh, use the uh, same uh, export and import feature now they are uh, part of the solution and uh, just like any other process like workflows then you can get them in and out with that uh, that same procedure and uh, actually one uh, important thing there to also keep in mind that's a, uh, a new feature of the platform is that uh, also the uh, the status of the business process flow will be exported. So uh, if you import, uh, export it in inactive status and then import it in a new system, then you will also get the status of it. So it will be there in an inactive status. But whereas if you export it as active, then right at the moment when you deploy the solution, it's going to be active in that system, the target system of the uh, where you import the solution. Okay, so you don't have to activate it or deactivate it. Yeah, so you can decide on that uh, while you are building a solution package. All right, that sounds good. You said that there were four processes now. The business process flow that we have talked about now and then the, the two that we already have, workflows and dialogues. And then you said actions. Um, what, what's that? Well, actions are a, sort of a uh, they're kind of a collection of uh, tasks that uh, you could assemble into a... Uh, a uh, uh, sequence of uh, of uh, updates, or uh, let's say that uh, the example that Microsoft uses is, is kind of like an action for escalation of a case. So uh, they actually provide a uh, user interface for the uh, kind of uh, business analyst to, to like uh, 
define that, okay, what does a an escalation, for example, mean for us? So what kind of a uh, email should go out there and what, what are the uh, five or ten things that need to happen when you perform an escalation? But uh, in this current version, uh, you can actually only call those actions uh, through custom code. So if you only build your own uh, workflow processes, then uh, you cannot reference these actions yet. So uh, I think that's uh, probably something that will be then introduced in future versions that you could also like uh, have your own workflow process and then package this kind of a uh, reusable set of uh, actions into a, uh, a single item that you could then call in your uh, other workflows. But uh, for the time being, you still need some developer resources for leveraging actions uh, feature, but uh, it does provide some more, uh, let's say, uh, end-user configurability into that uh, uh, into those custom steps that you would be then performing through custom workflow activities or uh, custom .NET code. Okay, so it's not yet available really for for the customers who are only power users and don't open Visual Studio. Yeah, so you need to have some development skills to be able to actually then leverage those actions in real-life scenarios. Okay, but, but business process flows sounds exactly like the thing that I might just teach my customer how to use and they can more or less manage it by themselves. Yeah, that's really true. And actually, if we look at uh, how the uh, business process flows are different from uh, traditional workflows is that you can actually, uh, the UI sort of invites the uh, business uh, representatives to actually uh, view the configuration of those processes directly from the uh, record. So for example, if you are on an opportunity record, then, and if you have the sufficient rights for uh, viewing and modifying those uh, business process flows, then you can actually open them up for editing there and change the uh, contents of these uh, process stage, for example. So if you see that there's a uh, unnecessarily uh, too many uh, uh, fields there included or you're asking for information that's not really needed there in the process, then the, uh, let's say, a sales manager could actually even remove those steps themselves from that business process flow directly. And uh, also one thing there to keep in mind is that uh, Although there is a uh, active inactive status for those business process flows, then uh, you can actually edit them while they are active. So uh, it's a uh, very new world compared to the uh, traditional way of how we think about workflows and uh, their instances and so on. Might the customers be a little bit overflowed about all the options initially? Yeah, I think that uh, you will probably not have the uh, uh, a large number of people that would be uh, modifying those business process flows, but uh, the ones who are, let's say, tech-savvy and the ones that really, like, want to uh, adjust the process and, like, uh, uh, ensure that it uh, is always up-to-date up to and, like, contains just the uh, just the things that they want their uh, employees to be performing, just the data that they want to collect, then I think that kind of taking away the, uh, let's say, requirement for getting a uh, system admin there to perform the job for them, I think that's a... Uh, great option to have, but uh, of course you have to keep in mind that uh, not every organization can actually leverage those kind of uh, live modifications. So if you have like integrated systems and a controlled release process, then you probably still need to like uh, cut down the user rights and ensure that uh, not other people who are not aware of your uh, release process that they cannot be messing with those uh, the contents of those uh, business process flows and like causing errors as a result of uh, live edits into the system. All right. Um, that's 
sounds nice and anyway because that's that's a way to go forward for for us to do less and perhaps perhaps at least get our customers to, to do a little bit more about these reachable configurations yeah i think that's the whole point of um or Microsoft has taken lots of steps towards getting in dynamics to be something that you can uh, configure rather than customize. So uh, I think that's one of these steps really is uh, uh, the, uh, presenting the business process workflows uh, in that kind of a new format that's uh, easier to approach. I think that's a uh, one step on the path towards that kind of an environment where uh, there's more that the, uh, the power user can do themselves and then uh, less things that you need to have a uh, developer around for writing code. Yeah, the less code, the better code. Mm. <laughs> All right. Um, you said earlier that uh, there was uh, now actually more UI space available for for data and that uh, there are navigations missing and menus missing. So so the ribbon is, is gone now. Um, uh, might that also confuse users that they're... they're they have this ribbon in Office and Outlook and and um, uh, well, what do you feel about that? Well, I'm sure that uh, just like the new uh, redesign of those forms, that uh, it can be an initial uh, shock for users who have been uh, accustomed to having the ribbon there in 2011 version. But uh, if we compare the situation between the uh, Office software and Dynamics CRM, then uh, I think that uh, the ribbon was a uh, great idea, but then in practice, uh, I think that we often run into situations where actually it uh, it became a bit overwhelming for the end users to have those options presented to them whenever they navigated to different records there. So um, I think that people have uh, adopted the ribbon in like applications like Word, for example, but uh, then in a uh, customized business application that uh, they use for uh, managing their processes, then having... Uh, a too rich set of uh, things that could be done there for record, showing that to the end users on that rich uh, visual ribbon there. I think that uh, it had also its downsides there. And uh, I think especially with uh, in a scenario where you had a subgrid on the form and then the ribbon was context sensitive. So uh, getting the user to understand that, okay, uh, to which uh, record does this action on the ribbon now apply to and uh, why do I need to first click on the subgrid there to activate it to show all the commands there? So uh, when trying to train the users and looking at the kind of steps that they sometimes needed to take with the ribbon, then uh, I think that there definitely is a, uh, a more simple way of doing many things that are common to the end-user processes. And uh, as a result, I think that uh, what's now being done with 2013 version is, the, is a uh, better approach in the long run because uh, you still have all the... Uh, customized actions available there in the ribbon. So if you added uh, custom buttons, then it's not going to be gone from the system, but it's not going to be presented directly on the form either. So uh, the the new design uh, uh, principle that um, Microsoft is following now is that uh, on those, uh, on the new command bar, which is the, uh, what replaces the ribbon now is that uh, there's always a maximum of uh, five items available on that uh, command bar. And all the other menu options are then behind the uh, the more button, the uh, three uh, dots there. So uh, you can still access those actions that are available 
available in the system, and you can perform the same same customized steps there and uh, run workflows for records and execute records and uh, reports and so on. But they're not going to be there all the time, staring at the user when they open a record. So the whole point is to like reduce the uh, number of uh, let's say things to click on and give a uh, enable the user to focus on the content of the system, not the uh, possibilities of what they could be doing. And I think that in the long run, that is a uh, the right approach to take. But like I said, I mean, it's going to be a, a change for the existing users, and uh, you need to manage that change and ensure that uh, you still have the the right comments available there, visible in, within those first five items that are presented on the command bar. So it's less buttons, but more specific buttons. Yeah, I think that so it's... Uh, Prioritizing what is shown and what is not is going to be a much more uh, common requirement now compared to 2011 because uh, previously you had a large ribbon and that could contain tens or even 100 commands there. And now you have to choose, okay, what are the five most important ones that need to be there available first? And what are, let's say, secondary actions that you can hide away behind that uh, the more button? And And that actually makes sense because the five most important things might be 90% of what they actually do. Exactly, so you, you kind of like, uh, the more options you present to the user, the uh, more confused they will be, especially if they are not uh, power users of a CRM, if they're not uh, accessing it daily or just go there for casually to look for reports or information, then uh, I think that uh, the uh, the power user will know where the actions are, but for the uh, casual user it's more important to like be able to not uh, overwhelm the user when they log into the system. So so the the one button export to Excel so I can manage it by myself is is hidden now. <laughs> yeah, that's true it is still there but uh, and another uh, let's say a commonly used button that can be difficult for existing users to locate for example advanced find. So uh it used to be it's simple to find it from the main window but now all the windows are sort of main windows so uh, that's one Nice challenge that I've tried with a few colleagues of mine. How long does it take for them to find the button there in the new UI? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's no pop-ups. Uh, what do you think about that? Is it better to just have one to go back and forth, or did you like the pop-ups? Well, I was sort of uh, accustomed to the pop-ups, and uh, I mean, when I worked with uh, several different organizations during any given day, then of course I've managed to like live with that kind of multitasking. Uh, uh, world uh, in my head, but uh, again, for the casual user, uh, uh, the kind of hierarchy of the the main page and then the uh, record pop-ups, uh, it was uh, again a difficult thing that they had to learn when they started using CRM. So it was not something that uh, other applications were following the same logic there. So compared to that now to the new uh, navigation paradigm, where you can actually go back and forth using the uh, the back and forward buttons on your browser. So I think that. Uh, it's one less thing that we need to like uh, teach an exception for the users about how to n- know about CRM, so they can just jump in and use it like web page. So I think that uh, again, it's a yeah, it makes sense to like uh, simplify it and follow the kind of norms that a user would expect from a, a web application nowadays. Yeah, because in 2011, the back button wasn't used a lot in dynamic CRM. Yeah, instead you had like. Uh, if you were working with CRM for half an hour, then you could easily have 30 windows open if the user wasn't closing them. So uh, it's, uh, again, I'm time better spent than 
closing those records would be just just like move from one page to another and then go back and forth if you need to. And also then that's one uh, thing that we can now reduce with the uh, the new design tools that we have, for example, the business process flows. So reducing the the need for jumping back and forth and making the new entity forms more like dashboards that contain the links to all the uh, necessary records right there and not forcing the user to go through kind of the uh, the main menu, the sitemap hierarchy and thinking about those uh, structures, what's a parent record and what's a child record and so on. Uh, yeah, that, that, that sounds great actually. But but how about this now? Now we have more devices available also. So my one might pick up an iPad or a PC or or an iPhone or Android or Windows Phone. Sorry, sorry, Windows Phone of course. And and does it look the same in every device? Well, one thing that has been done there in the uh in the main UI, so the web clients, is that, uh, well, you can notice it if you're just like, uh, if you scale down the size of the uh, your browser window, then you'll see that actually the uh, the form content also reflows to like follow that, uh, the space that's available there. So it's a lot more flexible design on that uh, on that front already. So depending on whether you're on a, uh, a small uh, laptop or a big desktop screen or uh, even on a uh, tablet uh, browser, then it tries to uh, adapt to that form factor already, the default uh, web clients. But of course, then the, the really big uh, change or the new feature that has been uh, developed is the, uh, is the new tablet application, the, uh, the, uh, the Mocha, so the mobile clients uh, uh, app. So uh, that is now available for both the Windows 8 and for iPad tablets and uh, it Instead of it being like a separate island, a separate uh, uh, mobile app, it's actually uh, the great thing about that is that it uh, it follows the same form customizations that you do on your uh, main CRM uh, forms. So uh, all the content that you have on your account form, then you will have those most of the same contents there in the same order, even also available on the, on the tablet clients. So you customize it once, and you have it available on on both the PC and and the tablet clients. So that is a great big investment, and uh, very. Uh, I'm sure it's been a, a big uh, technical challenge for Microsoft to like uh, be able to come up with that kind of a responsive design for the uh, for the customized customizable forms. But uh, I think the uh, compared to having uh, yet another form to customize. So uh, of course, in, in the past we had the uh, the uh, the main form, and then we had the mobile express forms. And if you would now have yet another third form, the tablet form, uh, to take care of, then I think that would just, like, confuse the user or make it um, harder to, like, manage the the environments and uh, think about all the uh, ensuring that all the relevant fields are always presented on all the clients, no matter which which way the user is accessing the application. But but having the same on, on every device, that, that makes sense for the users also, because they they recognize themselves that, oh, this is where I left off. I just brought my iPad instead of my tab, instead of my Windows RT or some other Windows device or PC. That that's a good thing, right? That that they recognize themselves. Yeah, I mean, if we think about now the uh, the breadth of uh, options that's available for the. Uh, for the Dynamism user, then of course, I mean, in the past we already had the uh, 
had the uh, web client and the auto client, and then there was the uh, cut down Mobile Express version available there. So uh, now we have uh, also the uh, the Mocha client, so the tablet a- application available, and uh, there's going to be uh, shortly released the uh, actual uh, mobile apps for uh, for Windows Phone and uh, iPhone and Android also. So there's going to be actually uh, five different client types available for the same same application. So if you think about that, then there's uh, it's the one platform there, but uh, the way that users are actually uh, accessing the information and how they interact with the processes, then it can be a multitude of different devices and uh, different uh, surroundings. And uh, the one thing that remains is the process there, but uh, the you shouldn't really design it for a single client anymore. You have to like uh, ensure that it's uh, that the process makes uh, sense in all the different uh, apps that it's available in, and that uh, you have the right uh, set of features available for those environments. So we're going mobile. Well, you could say that uh, mobile is just coming becoming an everyday thing. I mean, it's no longer a uh, separate feature; it's rather now kind of built into the platform. So uh, you don't really need to like. Uh, by a third-party application anymore, so uh, it's kind of like uh, now now the uh, the platform and the uh, clients are sort of more separated from one another. If you look at it uh, from the uh, kind of Microsoft stack point of view. Getting back to uh, more things that we as a developer or as a power users can do, I've noticed there are, there is these new things on on all the entities called business rules. What are they? Well, business rules really are, in short, they are a way to write JavaScript without writing a script. So uh, they are kind of an extension of the uh, business logic that you can then apply on the forms. So uh, things that you traditionally needed a uh, developer to do, now there's going to be a uh, graphical UI for performing some of those, uh, creating some of that uh, business logic there that uh, would be commonly needed in almost any CRM implementation. So do you have any typical use that I can use this to reduce my JavaScript? Yeah, one of the, uh, I mean, the, or the most common things that you usually need to do in any uh, implementation is to, like, build some conditional logic that, uh, let's say, if this is a uh, a customer, then show the uh, customer number field. If it's a partner account, then hide it, show a different field there. So although that kind of uh, conditional logic can now be... Uh, mostly done with the uh, business rules on the form rather than uh, adding uh, custom scripts on the form. So you can uh, hide or show fields and you can uh, set the different requirement levels for fields using the business rules. And you can even uh, show uh, some error messages, notifications, or uh, perform this kind of uh, simple calculation, for example, making a sum of uh, the contents of two fields, for example, all right, but but then I come back to this always endless discussion about where do I put my logic? Is this where I put my business logic on the client side or do I need to duplicate it so I have it in a plugin also? Or, or, or what do you think about that? If you look at the role of uh, business uh, rules, then really it's a uh, feature that you, you should be using when you need to... Uh, apply the logic before the save event because uh, business rules are uh, triggered whenever you load a form or when you uh, or when the on-change event of a field is triggered. So uh, that's, of course, uh, you cannot uh, catch that yet with a plugin. So uh, uh, 
if you need to uh, show the immediate results to the end user when when they select the field and then make another field uh, required, for example, then that's really the uh, the right place to put that uh, that kind of discussion now. So they don't have to do a trial on arrow with the save button and get oh you haven't filled this in in this particular example. Exactly, and uh, of course keeping also in mind that there's now the uh, auto save feature in CM 2013 that uh, kind of uh, removes the save button. That uh, so that will actually uh, it's going to be a big thing to also uh, uh, take in, into consideration now when you think about upgrading existing organizations that are the uh, current business logics that you've implemented with plugins, are they compatible with that uh, new world where the uh, form save actually takes place uh, regardless of the user's actions. So there's no longer any uh, submit button available as such. So whenever you navigate away from the, uh, the field, then the value is committed into the uh, database already. Okay, so, so perhaps I need to consider that when applying filters to my plugins that I just took everything before and now I have to be more specific on what I actually trigger my plugin on? Yeah, that's exactly what you need to be doing now. So uh, it was sort of uh, easy back in the days to like just uh, not be so specific about what events uh, trigger your uh, custom logic. But uh, now because uh, at, at worst case scenario, your plugins will be firing every half a minute there in the system and causing not only to, uh, a load load on the system, but then also some maybe unintentional re- results because uh, the user can be uh, editing the field values back and forth, for example. They can be selecting different uh, picklist values and, th- and then tabbing away from the field, going back and selecting other ones. So uh, there's no longer any moment when they say that, okay, this is now, I've done my job now, and now I submit the information there. So uh, no save button anymore. So uh, the content is now submitted uh any time either the uh, either the timer reaches the uh, 30 seconds or when you navigate away from the form. So if they just, for example, click on another, uh, on a uh, related entity or open the uh, navigation bar and select a new, uh, new menu from there, then uh, all the changes will be committed into the database right there and then. So that's going to be a big consideration for any existing business logic that uh, very often has relied on the kind of uh, submit behavior even though a save button doesn't really uh, shouldn't signify that, but uh, it has been used like a uh, like a web form would be on a website. Yeah, it's a post button. I'm done. Click. And of course, the users have been clicking that many times and like ensuring that whatever they do uh, enter on the form, that if the network breaks out, that they don't miss out on the information. So it hasn't been a web form as such, not really a post, but uh, it's been convenient to, to use it as such. But uh, now we have to uh, consider the new new UI and how people will not be then uh, they won't be clicking it anymore. They will just be entering values, and we'll have to deal with that new reality now with it with our plugins and scripts. Yeah, and that means that there is no cancel. Yeah, that's also going to be a uh, big question there. And uh, unfortunately, the system doesn't come with any uh, uh, built-in undo features. So uh, you really then need to be careful about. Uh, if uh, users enter some information there or they accidentally overwrite some fields there, then how do you get that value back? So, of course, there is the audit functionality available that was introduced in the previous version, but uh, there's no uh, rollback feature that you could just, like, trigger if the user mistakenly enters a value that they weren't weren't planning on inputting into the database. Hmm. 
yeah i've had that scenario and, and actually thought about doing a a sort of a garbage that 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 collects all of these audits and just sits and just when when they open a form they can see oh, okay i can undo this complete transaction and that that's totally doable if you have audit available on CRM. Yeah, that sounds like a great feature. So go ahead and build a solution there and uh, publish it on Codeplex if can, so we can leverage it in our project as well. Because I, I can see that this is going to be a uh, feature that some customers will be uh, afraid of. And uh, the uh, the new version does allow you to uh, disable the autosave feature, but then it's a uh, global setting, so you, you cannot really... Uh, just do it for a uh, one entity at a time, so it's all or nothing, really. Yeah, I started it with the, like a recycle bin, just searching for deleted entries and trying to restore them because I had some users that were not very peculiar with what they deleted, and then they wanted, oh well, I I need it back, I need it back, and and so we used audit to, yeah, well, we can sort of get it back to you. <laughs> Yeah, but it's not what the, the feature has really been designed for, so not the most uh, user-friendly way of like then accessing the data, but luckily it is still there tracked, so it ca- can be uh, retrieved through customizations. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what's your next project, Yuka? Well, my next project, well, for for example, tomorrow I'll go to a customer that's still working with CM 3.0 and uh, thinking about a strategy for them to how to uh, then move forward into the uh, 2013 environment. So uh, that's one interesting uh, scenario. I haven't been working with uh, version 3 for for quite many years, so uh, it's going to be a a trip down the memory lane there. But uh, also then you kind of see that uh, it is still the uh, in many ways the same platform, but the the application, the user experience that you get with uh, 2013, then I mean, of course, like I said in the beginning, it's going to look like a... uh, whole new application for many users. So, uh, But uh, still, I mean, looking at it, it's uh, just another uh, evolutionary step there on the road. So uh, we can still uh, like carry out many of the uh, the past uh, customizations, the data models and views and so on. So uh, I think that's, uh, in a way, that's a uh, testament to the, the work that Microsoft is doing by uh, providing this kind of like uh, upgrade paths for the solution that they've been building for so many years. Yeah, but there's no upgrade path really for for from version 3 to 2013 that that's a long upgrade path. Of course it's not direct but uh for example, I mean if you look at like Windows for example, then it's possible to upgrade from version 1 to version 8 of Windows. Uh there's some nice videos there in YouTube where you can see that someone goes through that uh that process and it still works. So uh I've seen it. Yeah. It contains a lot of uh, <laughs> steps. <laughs> a lot of clicks needed, a lot of installation disks, but uh, still it's the same product and it is compatible. So uh, that's a great achievement still. Yeah, that, that's a great achievement. Thank you, Yuka, for your participation in CRM Rocks. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And thank you who are listening. And don't forget that you can comment and subscribe on crmrocks.com. See you next time on CRM Rocks.